2016 is one twelfth of the way finished already, which means I am, I am such a failure as a podcaster. But wait, is that bad? I have the answer, and here's your show. Episode 270, Comfort with Failure. This is the Aircast for the week of January 31, 2016. From Aracast.com. Welcome to the Aracast. Alright, well welcome to or welcome back to the Aracast. I'm your host, Eric Larson. And I'll admit I stole that opening straight from a former South Metro Minneapolis St. Paul podcaster from years ago, Digital Dan Hook. So if you're out there, Dan, or if anybody is out there and you want to give some feedback, we mentioned the phone number right up front, 206-339-3742. Conveniently spells out 206-339-ERIC. Brought to you by K7.net, home of the Ericast listener feedback line since 2005, which is when Ericast started. Um, let us know that you're alive and well. That would be great. Uh, maybe I should just keep randomly stealing stuff from people until they call up and say, Hey, don't use my catchphrase from five or six years ago. And then I'll say, Good to know you're alive and well. Um, that'd be just, just great. If you could, if you could do that, that'd be great. Hashtag Bill Lumberg. Um, we use the majestic re- we around here at the Ericast. Uh, it really just is me here in Studio A of, of the Ericast studio. Um, and we describe this as a personal podcast, meaning that you either know me, Eric Larson of the Ericast, and you're wondering, what's going on in Eric's life? I would like an update. Here I am. Or you f- you are intrigued by something that I'm talking about, failures this week's episode, or maybe we'll mention um, why I may have a flood of new listeners. Welcome, if that's the case. And you want to know what's going on. I will warn you, this tends to be fairly eclectic. I will defend that by saying, if you've been podcasting for... We're now in our 11th year, I guess. There's a 12th. I never quite know how that... The, we started in 2005, so we'll have to figure out the, the birthday in March. Because like when you're born, you're not zero. So your first birthday is the end of your first year, and then once it crosses a decade, I, I, the numbers get big and I get confused. So um, once you do this for a while, you just kind of you kind of go with the eclectic thing. Um, I will mention a quick technical note. Part of my project over our Christmas break was I completely rebuilt my computer. My, um, not the original one, it's still sitting here. If I look to my right in Ericast Studio A, I see the original Compaq, uh, what was it? The Presario SR1230NX. It's just kind of interesting to have that level of numeric and, and alphabetic title in it. Uh, that was the computer that we started with in the Aircast. Bought it in uh, on Black Friday um, 2004. And then it was there ready in the den, which is now Chloe's bedroom, um, for starting the Aircast in 2005. It had a huge hard drive. It had a 160 gigabyte hard drive. And then I bought a, a second 160 gigabyte hard drive, so I doubled my space. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so a couple years back, I I bought a, a new machine, Windows 7 machine, uh, Windows 8 machine, sorry, 7 or 8? Huh, 8, I think. Anyway, upgraded to 10 when I could. Uh, and then it was a kind of flaky. 
So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to completely wipe it and start over. And this is a random tip. This, it, for those of you that are new, you've already, I've already lost you, so this is just for my old-time listeners, because you're thinking, well, this guy's just geeking out on what kind of computer he has. This is super useful, though. I decided to splurge, and I got a solid-state drive, 250-gig solid-state drive, something like that. Install Windows 10 on it. Super speedy. Here comes the tip, okay? Loved it. Loved it. And then as I was working with it, the install went great, but as I was working with it, it occasionally would just freeze. Like, like completely and totally freeze. This computer is not doing anything frozen. Frozen. That level of frozen. Like Disney caliber frozen with the computer. And then it would start up again. Like, that's weird. So it completely froze for like two minutes and it came right back. Strange. So I opened up the uh, the very very pretty Windows 10 uh, task manager in the background. Did a little processor analysis thing, and I found the hard drive activity was spiking at a hundred percent. And I did lots of googling on this, and lots of people are saying, "Well, your antivirus might be doing whatever." Blah blah blah. Lots of fascinatingly incorrect false leads. It turns out, with the solid state drive, in the default. It's not economy performance, but it's kind of like the middle of the road performance levels. There's something where it tries to throttle down the hard drives. It sends some sort of signal that says you don't need to spin as fast or whatever. And once you know to Google this or Bing it, if you're into Bing, um, you'll, once you know to look for it, you'll find it. And basically what they say is, yeah, that's all great and it's, it's fine, whatever. But if you have a solid state drive, do not have that performance management setting on your drive. Why? Because when the operating system goes to try and throttle down the drive or moderate or whatever, it will freak the drive out, it will spike with 100% activity, and your computer will completely freeze. And then it will eventually come back when it decides it doesn't need to do that. And I thought, huh, that's exactly what's happening to me. So the so suggested workaround for, for testing it is... Um, and just set it to high performance and see if see if that fixes it immediately. Like I didn't have to reboot or anything. It's like it was fine. It's been fine ever since. Totally fine. Solid state drive. Highly recommended. Very nice thing to run your operating system on. Uh, reboot time is measured in in just a few seconds. It's really kind. Of, it is funny. Like ah, maybe I should reboot my machine and I'll 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 hit restart and I'll do whatever and. I'll, I'll turn back the computer. It's done. It's waiting for me to log in. It's like, did, did I remember to reboot? Did I hit the wrong thing? No, it, it did. It completely went down, came back up, and it's, it's ready. So it's beautiful. Solid state drive. It's a thing of beauty. What that does mean, though, for the Aircast is that I am working on a brand new machine, and I'm trying to find all my settings and tweak things and stuff. So if this audio level seems too, you know, too hot, it's, you know, not loud enough, whatever, uh, that's my excuse is I realized, huh, I bet I don't have any of my Audacity configuration files anymore. I mean, they're they're on the old drive because that's that was the easiest way of. I realized time is money, so it was the easiest way of of basically re-imaging machines starting clean with um, first with the the restore disks to Windows 8 and then up to Windows 10 was. Rather than trying to back stuff up and move my files and move them back or whatever, let's just treat the old drive as a backup drive and start really clean on a brand new drive. And it works pretty well. So that's the scoop. If it sounds goofy, um, 
I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to fix it or re-record it because that's just how things go. Because failure is always an option, as I may be learning this week, because I'm heading off to a conference. You'll recall my conversation about going to Denver uh, back in 2012, 2013. I should probably look at that. Uh, last conference I went to, it was a great experience. Loved it. Um, that was for Educause. Educause, according to the Educause site, is a non-profit association and the foremost community of IT leaders and professionals committed to advancing higher education. That's the definition of Educause. Well, they have a conference for the Educause Learning Initiative. The Educause Learning Initiative is a community of higher education institutions and organizations committed to the advancement of learning through the innovative application of technology. I'm going to be overly honest, even though I know I might have some ELF folks listening. I'm not exactly sure what the difference is between those two official blurby type definitions. But last year, I participated remotely by driving the beam. Remember the driving the beam episode? Well, so I was at the conference, but virtually because I was doing the, the beam thing, which is really cool. Well, this year, it's going to be even cooler because I'm going to be physically there. And doing what's called a poster session, where you stand by a poster and explain, here's what we did, and what would you like to know? And then you kind of converse with people, which is going to be great. Um, first time I've actually like presented in this sort of context at Educause. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is, like, fundamentally, that is what I do. That is who I am and who who I have been for the past 20 years. Um committed to the advancement of learning through the innovative application of technology. That is a really good definition of of me. So, that's what I'm going to be doing, which means that um, if you saw my post of Thinking Into the Future, if you saw my poster session and thought, this Eric Larson guy seems super cool and really interesting and humble. Wow, I'd like to learn more about him. And you've somehow found this podcast, you now know kind of how that, that, um, that timing goes. It also means if the plane goes down on the way to or from Texas, that these will be my last words. So if that's the case, you've been a great community. I love you all very much. Thank you for listening to the Aircast. There are 269 other episodes kind of as a backlog. So start with episode one and work your way forward and you'll know a lot about me. So last November, I think I mentioned this. It's just a blip of time in, in podcast time because it's like the last episode of the one before, but in terms of actual chronological time, it's been a while, so I don't remember. But I think I talked about seeing um, the Mythbusters stage show. You know, Adam and Jamie Unleashed was the title of the show. And Adam opened, I mean, you know Mythbusters and they blow stuff up and it's all cool. But Adam opened with this monologue. And I'll admit the show is a smidge disjointed, which is totally fine if you're a Mythbusters fan. It's like, that's kind of Adam and Jamie, so it's it's authentic. That's good. Um, smidge disjointed, but really good. And what it opened with was this this monologue of Adam describing how his eclectic background led to um, his career and you know what it meant to be a MythBuster. I thought, man, that's great. I wish I could do a podcast on that. I could not find a recording of it anywhere. And somehow, by some chunk of providential stuff, I, I found a recording of an earlier version. Now, I, having heard the later version, can hear in this that this is kind of as he was working the presentation out. It's better in the stage show. Um, but this is great. I'll show the credit, in, uh, throw the credit in the show notes. 
Um, I could also show the credit in the throw notes, but that would be kind of strange. So I will show the credit in the, th- in the, I will put, uh, there's a credit someplace. I'll mention it in the show notes. So you know where this came from. Um, but yeah, as I say, this is, this is as close as I get to like the move to tears. Uh, this person understands my life. I can so totally relate to this except for the juggling part because I can't juggle. If I had some spare time, maybe I'll learn how to juggle. But I don't need to because I've done other similar things. So with that, I'm going to turn over the rest of the podcast to Adam Savage. I spent uh, an inordinate amount of time in my late teens and early 20s fantasizing about the kind of success I hoped to achieve. I didn't have a skill. I lacked a career specifically with which to enjoy success, but that didn't stop me from the fantasy. And I I had a very specific idea about the form I wanted that to take. I wanted to be the young, brash upstart. I wanted uh, to be the enfant terrible, uh, the one who would come in and shake things up. This was my fantasy about my father, uh, and this was the, the, the way that I wanted to do it. And when that didn't happen because I didn't have a skill I was really good at or a career to become successful in. And when it continued not to happen, I started to get kind of hard on myself. I I started to lament all the time that I felt that I'd wasted. And here I was at 19 and 20 thinking that I was already out of time. I lamented all the obsessions that I had indulged in without becoming truly excellent at anything. And the first obsession that I had was the greatest toy ever invented, uh, it's Lego. And I had, I mean, from the age of zero until I discovered girls at around 20, I played with Legos <laughs> almost constantly. Uh, I had economies, I had Death Stars, I had uh, 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 entire spaceports in my room. If you entered my room in the 70s, you should wear shoes because those little single Legos will freaking cripple you. And I was distracted from the Lego obsession around the age of 12 or 13 by a book that someone gave me that changed my life, uh, which is Juggling for the Complete Klutz. Yeah. And the book came with three bean bags. Yes, that's the right pocket. It came with three bean bags, and it started you out with one and told you to just practice throwing it from one hand to the other, getting getting used to the grace of a simple toss. They had some advice like throw from below your elbow and stuff like that. And then they had you pick up a second beanbag, and they taught you this pattern, throw, throw, catch, catch. Everyone in the world who picks up two beanbags does this. That's called a shower, and it's much harder. Throw, throw, catch, catch. The book promised that if you did this long enough, you could eventually pick up a third beanbag, and you'd be juggling. It's not quite that simple. The first time you pick up that third beanbag and you throw it in the air and your brain, mission control, roger that, we are tracking the object. We are about to catch this object. Holy crap, there's a beanbag already in the hand we're supposed to catch that object in. And you literally throw that beanbag across the room. But they taught me to juggle up against a wall and that helped thwart that. And over a couple of days of perseverance, I found all of a sudden that I could actually say that I could juggle. And this was a brand new thing. Nobody else I knew except my father, who I idolized, knew how to juggle. The first thing I discovered when I learned was that my father juggled wrong. My my dad, uh, this is your basic unit of juggling. It's called a cascade. My dad's juggling was in a reverse cascade like this. I don't even know how he learned it because this is more difficult. But he was like, well, that's the way I juggle. 
and then once I discovered that those two things could be done together, I started to see patterns and I realized I could make one of the beanbags look like it was disconnected from the other two and somebody laughed and I realized I had a skill that was entertaining. <laughs> and I was completely hooked. I started juggling for hours every single day and I started learning really critical things about learning. I would spend all morning trying to juggle with, with one hand and not getting it. And then a few days later... I would pick up the beanbags and that skill would be waiting in my hands. I learned that your brain fermented these things while you weren't doing them. And over the next few months, I progressed from some simple tricks like reverse cascades to some more complicated ones to some genuinely funny ones <laughs> to ones that felt really good in my hands like a shower. This is so delicious feeling. And then after about 18 months, I hit a wall. I stopped progressing. There's this thing that happens when you're learning a skill. I didn't know this at the time, but when you're first learning a skill, the rudiments of it, it's easy, specifically because it's rudimentary. But as you progress, each new thing you learn becomes more difficult. Now, that's there's a reward to that because each new thing you learn also increases the ability you have with all the stuff you already know. But after about 18 months, this was before the internet, I was just getting books out from the library. I stopped being able to find tricks I could do with three beanbags. I needed a level up, and I, that's all I knew was that I needed to level up. So I took the train into New York City, and I bought a set of uh, really flash juggling clubs from a guy named Brian Dubay. And I actually bought these from him a couple years ago. And this was like, oh, these looked so cool. And I pulled them out of the box, and they weren't as hard to learn as I was afraid. And they felt really good. I felt like I was a professional clown. I still didn't know at that time that that was not something to desire. <laughs> but none of the tricks I knew with three beanbags actually translated to the clubs very easily. <sighs> there was one trick I could do with a club. There it is. It's called a double. It's the most boring thing in the world. <sighs> I... I, I Basically, the clubs weren't the level up I was looking at. But in 1983, I went to the International Jugglers Convention at SUNY Purchase in New York. Is there any wonder I didn't discover girls for another few years? Uh, and I saw a trick called Chops. And Chops was absolutely the level up I was looking for. It was described to me. Not many people could do Chops. Chops was a separation point between just being a rank amateur and a, and, a, and a dawdler to someone who was on the serious path. And I committed myself to learning Chops. Now, I want to show it to you, but I've got some special clubs here. So if we could bring the lights down. There we go. So... Chops is different than most tricks in that most tricks are relatively mechanical. You can see what's going on, but chops has a kind of otherworldliness to it. When you see one, uh, it's not really clear what's happened. There's a chop. Now, when I first saw that in the mirror, I couldn't even tell what I was doing. But I started out, like all juggling tricks, getting my right hand used to the chop, and then I got my left hand used to it, and then I decided, I committed to learning a certain number of chops in a full cascade, and let's see how many I can do here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, seven. There you go. And I, I Chops was the level up I was looking for. It showed me also... Uh, how much time and energy I would have to devote to juggling to become much better. And chops is where I stopped. Um, it turned... Yeah. yeah. 
it's the same level of skill I've carried almost every other thing I've ever learned. It turns out that I'm a champion of one notch above mediocrity. <laughs> at, at least that's what I kept telling myself in my early 20s. And it wasn't until more than a decade later, several years into Mythbusters, that I realized that the that it was, in fact, the confluence and disparity and wide-ranging aspect of all of these things I'd learned to a certain level that was my secret power. It, and it all started with juggling. Uh, juggling is where I learned how to learn, and most specifically, it was this sound. That sounds like something you should avoid, and it feels like failure when you are first juggling, but if you're going to get good at it, you have to fall in love with that sound. You have to embrace it. And the secret to my success was embracing exactly that kind of failure. Thank you very much. So I just have to say, thank you for listening through that. And it's an interesting podcast community thing here that you're still listening at the 20 minute mark. Well, you got to the end and you realized, oh, now I get it. That's cool. But you didn't tune out at the 10 or 15 minute mark. Because you trusted me that there would be something of value to what I I was privileged to put into your ears. Um, and hopefully you do think there was something of value to that. That's, that struck me as really interesting. And it's, it's a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, not, not deep or sincere, but I think we talked before about, um, Zha Zhang and, and the 100 Days of Rejection, and there, there's kind of this, this, this meme out there, this vibe of just go out and, and seek to get rejected in a, you know, asking, you know, silly things like for Starbucks to give you a discount to the donut shop to, you know, place your order in the box like the Olympic rings or ask to play soccer in some guy's backyard. And you're kind of, you know, you build, it's almost like building up a sales resistance type thing, but on a good side. Well, what Adam Savage is talking about is a lot deeper than that. And it's the, um, I, I want to pursue something, but I need to fall in love with the sound of failing along the way. Because that is a, a, not just a natural part or a side effect, but it's something intrinsic to that success. So as I'm trying to get my my paperwork and hand out some things and, and you know all those ducks in a row to head off to Texas and and um, do a poster session, which will, it'll be fine. Um, but I need to learn to fall in love with the sound or the thought or the possibility of failing at that. Because that's how you grow. Hmm. So let me know what you think. 206-339-3742. Same listener feedback line as ever, but we're still accepting listener feedback. So give it a call. You know, if, if you don't think it's... Uh, um, keep calling it to keep the, the line active because you know, they shut it off after 30 days, which is kind of a problem when I don't podcast all that often anymore. Um, so 206-339-ERIC. Let me know what you think. And until next time, thanks for listening. And take care. Thanks for listening to the Ericast from Ericast.com. Visit us at www.ericast.com.